It's great to be here with you for, I know we're only here for this month, but uh, just want to say this is a kind of our home away from home, and it's, uh, it's a real privilege to be among you here. Um, this morning's meeting, again, you know, to me, it was just a great, great time to be with the Lord and his people. Um, some of you have been praying about Key West. I'm not sure if Dave made mention on Friday or whatever, but uh, things went pretty good down there. Um, the kids' clubs weren't as well attended as we had hoped. The weather was pretty bad, but there was kids that heard the gospel uh, who had never heard the gospel before, so we can be encouraged with that. There was a number of good contacts uh, made on uh, Stock Island. Couldn't remember the name of the place. And uh, just pray. Pray for Mark and his family. They're going through a little bit of a trial there. They're staying in the chapel there, but um, they've just had a notice placed on the chapel door that they're trying to evict them out of there. And so they're trying to work through that process. And maybe, you know, they, they, they still see it as... Uh, they're just committing themselves to the Lord's hand, so wherever the Lord leads, however he leads. But you can just pray for them. Okay, this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 3. I've been given Acts chapter 3 to look at here. So if you want to turn there. Um, maybe while you're turning there, I'm just going to have a quick word of prayer. Lord, we do want to commit um, this time to you. And we would pray that as your word is opened up, that we'd all be encouraged. We would um, just get a bigger picture of who you are and your great, great love for us. So we want to commit it to you now and just pray you'd fill my mind and uh, my heart and my mouth with your words, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 3. And we're not going to read it because I'm going to be going through it verse by verse here. We're going to look at the first account, so we're not going to read through it, but we'll get a good idea of what, what of course, it's talking about. Now, this, of course, falls on the heels of chapter 2, and I'm, I haven't been here, but I'm sure it was very good. And as you looked at it, but I want to just go back and look at just a couple of verses just for um, to come into chapter 3, and we'll just go back to verse uh, 44. It says, And all that believed were together, and they had all things common. And we're going to see that the common thing that they really had is they had a love for God. And when you have a love for God, and if it's collectively, there's nothing God can't do with you and through you. And verse 46, it says, They continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread. That's the idea of eating meals from house to house. They did eat their food with gladness. And then it says this, and I like this word here in the King James. It says, and singleness of heart. And the idea here is one heart for God. And uh, when I was reading this, I was reminded, because I've was, I was been going through Matthew's Gospel, and um, currently I've been just going through the Sermon on the Mount, but um, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, it talks about um, you know laying up treasures in heaven. You're probably familiar with that. Don't lay up for yourselves um, treasures upon earth where moth and rust is is corrupt it says but where thieves break in and steal but lay up treasures in heaven and it says it goes on to say for where your treasure is there will your heart be also in other words um, the thing that means the most to you in your life that's your treasure or the treasure house right and it really should be the things of God and often it's well the new car the new house the new this the new that and there are things that detract from that but it goes on in that Chapter The next verse, it says this, The light of the body is the eye. And it says, If therefore, 
thy eye be single. And the idea here is single. It's, it's, it's of one. It's a marriage relationship. That's what it's really talking about here, okay? Thy whole body shall be full of light. And I was thinking of this in, in relation to um, Acts 3. This is what the early church had. They had a singleness of heart towards God. They loved the Lord. That's all they wanted to talk about. And you, you see that, don't you, when you see a new believer. We're going to see it as we look at this new believer here. All they ever want to do is talk about God, talk about the Lord Jesus, what he's done. You know, you start talking about, hey, did you watch that football game? Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you hear that guy who was sharing his testimony? Hey, everything relates about God. That's all they want to talk about. And it's a good thing. All right, well, let's just, um, just go through this. Now, in verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame, from his mother's womb was carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of those of, of them that entered into the table. Sorry, into the temple. Now it says here that um, Peter and John went up to the temple. Now since Pentecost, they were um, really the inner core of the disciples. Although they're very different people, when you look at them in character, they're completely opposites. And it's always interesting to me how God takes these opposites and blends them together and uses them for a force. Like probably in the real world, outside of the fact that they were fishermen, they probably had nothing else in common. And yet with the Lord, they were like that. They were always being used of the Lord. Now the phrase went up in uh, verse 1. It suggests that they went to the temple frequently. Well, we just read in the previous chapter that they went up daily. Now... Um, on this particular time was the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which would be 3, 3 p.m., right? In the Old Testament, David tells us in Psalm fifty-five, seventeen, he says, Evening and morning and at noon will I um, pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. We know the story of Daniel. He prayed three times a day. There was three hours of prayer in the day for the Jewish people. And uh, these were at 9, uh, noon, and at 3. This was called evening prayer. Now, um, obviously, in these early stages of the church era, many Christians went to the temple um, with the other Jews. Now, I guess the question would be, well, why is that? Let me think about it. Well, we don't really know, but maybe they just went there to witness, you know? Maybe, and I, I just think of this as uh, they're going through, you know, in Hebrews, in chapter 10, maybe when they went there and there was a sacrifice, Maybe Peter says, hey, you see that? We, yeah, this is a sacrifice. Oh, yeah, you're watching it too. Yeah, that's what I'm watching. But you know, remember that guy named John the Baptist? John the Baptizer? Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember what he saw the Lord Jesus? Remember what he said? Behold what? The Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. What was he talking about? Oh, he's talking about the Passover Lamb and that Jesus was the Lamb. You see, that's what that sacrifice there? I can look at it and I can actually see a picture you see, I'm looking back. I know that Christ already is the sacrifice. You're looking forward to the Messiah and tell you he actually came. I don't know if he did all this. But, you know, when you think about it, it tells us in Hebrews 10.10, 10, the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He finished the work. We heard about that this morning. It says, this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 14, it says, For by one offering 
He has perfected, the idea here is made holy forever, those that are sanctified. How? By Him. By what He did on the cross for us. Now, going back to our account here. So we notice that there is this cripple. We notice in verse 2 that he was lame um, from his birth, from his mother's womb. You know, he wasn't crippled in an accident. Um, It wasn't from an injury or an illness. I mean, he always had. He simply had never walked. What's more, if you go into chapter 4, I think it's in verse 22, it tells us that the guy is actually over 40 years old. So in other words, he's been a long, long time he's been in this state. Now, have you ever been with someone who is in a wheelchair, someone that's maybe been crippled? Have you ever seen what their, what their physical body looks like? Um, a friend of mine, Larry Reeves in um, uh, South Carolina, when I was up there visiting him, once a week, one of the guys who came, comes to the meeting there, he's a paraplegic. He was actually, happened years and years and years ago, coming back from Emmaus, being from the south, he had never seen snow, and he crashed his car, and he became a paraplegic. And, you know, he loves the Lord and everything else, but one of the jobs that Larry has to do is sort of turn him over at night to get him ready for, for bed. He does that three times a week to help him. Well, I was there this particular time, and I'll tell you what, I've never experienced so much effort just to do that. And this poor guy, you know, in his life, he has to do everything. But what I noticed as well was Larry had said to me as we were trying to get him all ready, I was helping a little bit, was the guy's legs, even though there was nothing wrong, his legs weren't broken and nothing happened, right? It was his spine, his neck, a neck injury. He can move his hands a little tiny bit, but it was just from his, uh, you know, the severing of the spinal cord, which was the problem, but his joints and everything, they were all shriveled up, the muscles, and they, they just didn't even work. And, you know, he was kind of holding out that maybe one day, you know, the Lord would give him back the strength in his legs. Larry was thinking, well, it would be great if, because they were just, they were actually in the way. They were quite a hindrance to him because he was confined, you know, he, he could only move his head a little bit. He used the wheelchair by using, blowing into a tube in his mouth. But I was reminded of that thinking, and as I looked at, the, at those joints, thinking of this, here's a guy who was born this way. None of those muscles had ever, ever worked. Can you imagine how shriveled up he must have been? I mean, it says they carried him. I don't know who, who it was who carried him there. Um, you know, maybe it was his friends or family members. You know, it doesn't really tell us. Um, but, you know, when we think of him being a cripple and being hopeless, we're reminded that, you know what, we're just like that too outside of Christ. We're sinners on the broad road, as the Bible says, that leads to hell. We're separated from God. And, you know, spiritually speaking, we're cripples. There's no hope for us outside of Christ. You know, we read in the next chapter, there's no salvation in anyone else. There's no other name. There's no, it's not Buddha or Muhammad or anyone else that can save us outside of Christ. You can't save yourself. Many people try. Many people think they will. Now, uh, we also notice here that he couldn't walk. Well, we see that, but... Um, with this, I'm also reminded that there's many people that I talk to, and maybe you have too, that think that they can walk with God. In other words, they think they have a relationship with God. They're working on it. You know, uh, are you going to go to heaven? Well, I'm, I'm trying hard. I'm going to work on it. Oh, well, no, you actually can't really try to work hard. And I usually say, well, 
Uh, are you married? No, I'm not married. Well, how long have you been working on your marriage? No, I just told you I wasn't married. Oh, yeah, but how long have you been working on it? Like, what are you, deaf? I just told you I wasn't married. In other words, you would say that you can't work on your marriage until you're married, right? How can you work on a relationship until you have one with God? Till you come to Him. Till you get saved. You can't work on it. And so we see that in this. You know, we're also reminded that he's outside of the temple. No hope of entry. As a cripple, he couldn't even go into the temple. It also reminds us that no sinner has access to God. You know, a friend of mine, you know, he used to say when I'd go on the doors with him, he'd, you know, he'd be talking to people and he would say, your prayers get no higher than the ceiling, you know, which, which actually isn't really true because we do read of Cornelius' prayers actually went before God. And so there is the idea that God sees the heart Right, And so if your heart desires to know him, he'll reveal himself in a way that you can understand. And it's always a hard issue. So we see he's a beggar. He's destitute. Um, you know, we're reminded in Mark 8.36 that what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world? Like, it doesn't even stop with, you know, gaining lots of things or becoming a multimillionaire, or, you know, having lots of power. It says if you gain the world and lose your soul. But, you know, there's many people that strive for those things, thinking all the while it's going to help them. You know, one of the richest men in the world, you know, when he was asked, how much money will make you happy? He says, well, just a little bit more. It never satisfies. You get a new, you know this, you know, if you get something, brand new car, and it's, you know, it's the everything. Look at my car, look at my car. Three months later, hey, where's your car? Oh, yeah, it's over there, and it's all dirty. You haven't even cleaned it anymore. Because it's a thing. It doesn't really, it fades. But this is something that doesn't fade. Eternal life God offers to us. So we see that there was probably friends or family members who cared enough about him that they carried him to this temple. Now his practice is, of course, to beg uh, at the temple. Now, alms, of course, were given to the poor. To a Jewish mind, the giving of alms is an opportunity to gain favor with God. Now, we see that today, don't we? I mean, I lived in Ireland for 10 years. It's so prevalent there. that. Uh, and if you go to Mexico and some of the poorer countries, you'll see that often, that beggars will actually come to places. Actually, there was a guy here begging this morning. Why did he come here? Well, because he knew there was lots of people here, a good chance to get some money, right? And for him, he's strategically put in that right place. So he's in there... And it's kind of interesting because he's, um, he's placed, right, in the gate, which is called the beautiful gate. Now, you know, you look at that up in the Greek, and actually it's used otherwheres, other places, as opportunity. So here he is at the gate of opportunity, and great news, he's going to get opportunity, right? And it's going to be used as an illustration also to Israel that if they, if they, later on in the chapter, if they turn to as a nation, they can be saved as well. And, you know, to make the point to us, maybe you're here today and you're not saved. Or you're saying, well, you know what, man? I don't know why you keep talking about salvation because I am saved. Well, praise God if you are saved. But what are you doing with what God's given you? Are you living for Him? Maybe you need to repent and turn to the Lord. So Peter and John, about to go into the, into the temple, he called out to them and asked for alms. Now, um, you know, you think of what it was like for him in his life. He never walked, okay? He never ran. 
He's confined to one place and absolutely dependent on others. He was confined to a miserable existence. You know, a few years ago, we did an outreach in Western Canada, and a brother, his name is Peter Zion, another guy who's a paraplegic. Anyway, he wanted to come, and I heard he was pretty good. You know, he's, he's a speaker and so forth. And, uh, you know, I said, oh, yeah, okay. And I sort of started arranging stuff for him. He said, no, you don't understand. I'm a paraplegic. I said, well, yeah, you know, Andrew told me that. You know, I'm arranging things. So he said it again. No, no, you don't understand. I'm a paraplegic. And so I said, well, actually, you know, I, I am kind of dumb, but I have been told three times. You've told me now twice as I've been talking to you. I, I think I get it, you know. Well, actually, I didn't get it, you know. Because when he did come, the amount of effort and work that was involved just in him uh, being able to stay up at the camp. You know, he was up at the camp, and of course you need ramps, and you need this, and you need that. Had to get a special vehicle. In order for him to fly, he had to have someone come with him on the flight. That's the way, that, you know, they don't allow that in the airline. You have to actually, they give him two seats, and it just, it never ends. And I thought, wow, this guy has to go through all that. But it reminds me of this guy. I mean, all his life he was dependent on others. He was totally, you know, like his friends or the people that, his family, whatever it was, but he was totally dependent on others. And he would have had a miserable uh, existence, really. But, you know, that's the picture of a sinner uh, that's separated from God. There is no, you can't do it. No one can do it for you. You simply need to cry out to God to be saved. And now, uh, the interesting thing here is it says, I can imagine him. I mean, you know, you can imagine Peter and John, they're on their way up there. And you can see him. I mean, maybe he's looking them over. Boy, these guys look like holy guys. Maybe they got lots of money. Hey, hey sir, 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 you, you guys look pretty good. You look the part, you know. Probably on the way in here, there was, hey, that's the guy with a tie, man. I'm going after that guy. The other guy doesn't have a tie. I won't go after him. He's probably, probably the other guy has a lot more money than me, <laughs> you know. Um, but it seems like he strategically, he looks at them and he cries out to them. And uh, maybe he said something like, you know, I'm a poor lame guy. You're on your way in to worship God. Wouldn't you give me a few dollars so I can eat something? I don't know. And so it, it's interesting, though, it says that Peter fastened his eyes upon him. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this, but this reminded me of two instances in my life. The first one when I was in Africa. I get over to Africa, never been there before. Africa is just like, it's like, well, it's like stepping out of this world into another world, right? At least there, anyway. This is in Benin, Africa, and I was on my way to Nigeria. And so I get out there, and, um, and I'm looking, and you'd pull up to um, any street. Well, you know, here they have the guys, the homeless guys, who are looking for, you know, to help them, you know? And probably you're like most people, when they come up to the car, you're, Oh, yeah, yeah, what's going on? Oh, the radio. <laughs> you know how it is, right? You, you don't want to make that eye contact. Well, I should have learned that lesson here, I suppose. But over there, um, what happens over there is they have all kinds of things that they're selling. You know, they'll have apples on their, you know, big thing of apples, or they have eggs. They'll have, and, you know, they, they'll have stereos, TVs, DVD players. They're all out in the street, and they got these things. Now, the problem is, if you make eye contact, you're buying it. That's, that's the problem. Of course, I didn't know that. I'm like, oh, look at that. Well, all of a sudden, whoosh, all these guys are around the car. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? I soon realize, well, you don't make eye contact. So you go through like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, don't like that one, you know. But it reminded me of this story. How many people would have done that? Oh, there's the beggar. 
there. Would have avoided them. Right? Make, it would make sense. But Peter does the exact opposite. Look at me. Fix your eyes upon me. Wow, that's kind of weird. I mean, uh, to me, that's, that, that just sort of struck me as just something so, so different. I mean, I've noticed that, and perhaps you have when you're handing out tracks. You're handing out a track, you're trying to make eye contact, and they're, <laughs> they do the same thing as when you... The reason is, particularly in Ireland, they would do that because they, they don't want to be committed to that. And we do that naturally. But Peter does the opposite here. Now, the man, of course, gives him his attention. Well, you can understand why there. We find it, verse 6, Peter... Uh, because in verse 5, sorry, he says, because he thought he was going to get something. Oh, man, they're talking to me. He wants me to look at him. He must be going to give me something good. Peter tells him that I don't have silver and gold I, I don't have. Now, obviously, the church today can't really say that, can they? Silver and gold don't I have? Well, actually, we got lots of it. We're not going to give it to you, but, you know. But he could, he, you know, and I think sometimes when we look at this, and sometimes we get everything backwards, like you look at people that have given up everything for the Lord. They, they'll tell you they never gave up anything. Wow, what a blessing. You talk to people who've got a lot of things. Things trouble them. You know, they've got to worry about these things. They've got to get insurance for these things. And they're, they're never any peace because these things own them rather than them owning, owning the things. And so he says to him here in, um, in verse 6, it says... In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now it says he took him, in verse 7, by the right hand and lifted him up immediately. And Sorry, and it says, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Now the guy who wrote this, of course, is Luke, who's a doctor. And this, you know, this has got some significance. He would have realized, like I did when I saw that guy's crippled up body over a course of 25, I guess 35 years, how shriveled up and how out of place it was. This guy never, ever walked. So he makes a notation of this. He says, his feet and his ankle bones receive strength. So instantly, instantaneously, his feet and his ankle bones receive strength. And what's he do? Well, it says here, as they came in, it says, he leaping up stood and he walked. Now, maybe some of you have seen that movie Avatar. Um, yeah, I, sadly, I saw a part of it. <laughs> it was a terrible film anyway. But part of the thing that struck me was the, the main guy in the thing, he was a cripple. And what he does is he goes inside this whatever chamber and somehow his mind goes inside this other being and then he's able to sort of be inside this other body, as it were, Okay. And so as he's in there, of course, he is a cripple as he goes in. And in this, all of a sudden, the very first thing he sees is he sort of moves his feet, his toes, and he gets up and he's staggering and he's wandering, but he's trying to, and he ends up and he starts running and doing the things he did. Well, it wasn't like that at all. It says instantly this guy is up. He's healed. And you know, every instance of healing in the Bible is automatic. It's not something that's gradually. You hear these people, oh, the Lord healed me. It's still kind of killing me, but he really did heal me. It's, it's working on it, you know, my back. It's not, it's not quite there, but it's almost there. I said, well, the Lord didn't do it then. Because he doesn't mess up when he does things. It's right now, instant. And we see that as, as we look here. It says, immediately his feet and his ankle bones receive strength. 
So now what's the result of being healed? Well, we see a lame man who's now becoming a worshiper. A beggar becomes a worshiper. A sinner becomes a saint. You know, that's the, that's the contrast here, right? Um, a friend of mine in Ireland, you know, in Ireland people are very afraid of what other people think. And, of course, you know, in the Catholic religion in particular, you know, you have to have done lots and lots of great things in your life, and 50 years after you die, then the church maybe deems you as a saint, right? Uh, you, can't, you have to wait, I think it's at least 50 years before they can officially call you a saint. Well, of course, he writes to a friend of mine, and he writes on their big letters, you know, Saint Josephine, you know, at her address. And she says, I was mortified when I saw that, you know. I said, well, it's true, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's true, but, you know, what are people going to think that I'm thinking great of myself? Well, actually, the Bible tells us that when we believe, we actually become a saint. And the idea here is just set apart for God. We were set apart for the devil. Now we're set apart for God. That's a great, great thought. Now, I would say here, well, what did he do once he got, once this happened? Well, he did what any normal, rational person would do. He freaked out. Ah, this is great. Well, I mean, what would happen if that happened here? Would we, we rejoice here and we say, you know, what if Peter said to him, like, like oh, hey, buddy, whoa, 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 settle down. Like, hey, we're going into the temple, you know. You can't be leaping and jumping and praising God. But, you know. Actually, I guess you should be jumping, leaping, and praising God, right? I mean, you don't necessarily have to jump and leap to do it. But we should be doing it, right? We want to be with the Lord. We want to be with the Lord's people. It should be moving in our hearts who He is. Like it was this morning here. It was just a great time to think of what He's done for me. Um, you know, we see this all the time, don't we? I mean, last year I went to a Super Bowl party at uh, Gill's place, I think, was it? Anyway, I remember I was rooting for the losing side, so that, of course, didn't go very good. But I remember the winning side was where my son's team was, which is the uh, Drew Brees, whatever those guys are there. Up there. Oh, yeah, I can't remember the name. You know who I'm talking about. But anyway, what was interesting was every time there was a touchdown scored by them, everybody kind of went, oh, yeah, another touchdown. It went, oh, ah, touchdown, ah, in your face. Actually, that's what my son was doing to me. In your face, Dad. I go, what in my face? What kind of, you know? <laughs> we got so excited over this great thing, which is a football game. Do you get excited about the Lord that way? You did when you were first saved, at least inside you did. Or if you didn't, you're probably not saved. Did you not see that you, you crossed, as the Bible says, from death to life? You're on your way to hell. Now you're actually, you're seated in the heavenlies. Well, actually it goes on better than that, doesn't it? It says you're blessed with all spiritual blessings. All that God has given to His Son, He's given to you. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> Isn't that great? It's It's unbelievable. And I think so often, we, uh, as Mike was sharing this, we just we don't even realize it. This morning, we were here with the Lord Jesus. He, he was giving us His ear. God the Father was listening to us. Wow. 
You know, I was in, uh, and sometimes people go, well, I can't relate to that, you know, the Super Bowl stuff. I'm not into sports at all. I was in the Olympics there last year, okay, in Canada. Now, Canada, you know, in the Olympics and stuff, America wins everything, okay? They always win everything. Canada, like, oh, we got a bronze, you know? Like, whoa. I go, you know, I'm not sure if we should be cheering we got a bronze, you know? Like, isn't that like third place? Most times, you don't, you know, that's because, okay, we'll make you feel good to keep you playing with us, you know? But last, in the Olympics, they were winning all these gold medals. And I'll tell you, the place is going nuts. I've never seen anything like it, ever. And when they had the hockey game against America and won the game, well, I, you know, I was downtown in Vancouver, and as I was driving along, I was like, what in the world is that? They went nuts. The whole town, everybody. I mean, most of these people didn't even know what hockey was. Well, actually, probably most of them did, but they were just so pumped over a hockey game or the Olympics or what have you. Just a game. Can't we think of the Lord? Something like this guy does. This lame man, he knows um, what he's thinking about. And he didn't, you know, in verse 9 there, we think of the lame man's witness and we think of our own testimonies before and after. You get saved. Hopefully you have a testimony. Hopefully there's a life change within you. People see that you're different. You have opportunities. Well, look at this. It says, uh, verse 9, it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was him that sat at the, uh, for begging there at the, at the uh, beautiful gate of the temple. And it says, They were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Now, do you care what people think about you? Bottom line is we do, don't we? You do. Come into a room and all of a sudden, whoosh, they were talking about me. You know, I like what one brother said. If you really heard what they were thinking about you, you wouldn't want to know anyway. Because they weren't even thinking about you. Most of the time that's not the case. But we get so worried about what people think, right? You know what this guy? He, he had like what we saw at the beginning. He had a singleness of heart towards God. He, he didn't give a rip, if that's an expression you, you could use. He didn't care. You know, what this reminded me of was a, a sister in Ireland. Her name is uh, Myra. They asked me to go and talk to this girl, you know, and said, oh, yeah, she's quite interested. You know, they've been speaking a little bit about her, to the Lord about her and so on. And as I started to talk to her, I mean, I've never experienced anything like that in trying to witness to her. She is saying to me, and you know, the Bible says this, and it's true. And you know what, that, that's true, and this is true. And she just kept going on. Uh, you know, and I go, you sound like you really believe. Oh, it's all true, isn't it? <laughs> and she, uh, I think it was five days after that time, she had read the whole New Testament. And, uh, you know, I said to them at the time, they said, well, what's the story? I said, look, I'm not getting in the way of that. You know, <laughs> the Lord is obviously working there. I don't want to mess things up. You know, she, she got saved, right? And so shortly after that, it wasn't maybe a couple of weeks. You see, in Ireland, they're terrified of what people will think of them. You can see it. I'll knock on the door. Hello, anybody there? They'll come out to the door like this. Oh, oh, there is June watching me. Uh, and they don't even talk to you because they're so concerned about what someone else sees them doing. They don't even, you know, they're probably out there just watering, but they're just, that's the way it is. And so she is terrified inside of the thought that people will know that she's changed and so on. 
But she says, well, no, I, I need to go out and, and uh, hand out tracts with you. Okay, oh, well, that's great. So she comes to Limerick. Well, within about, I mean, this is a big city of Limerick in Ireland. Within a few minutes, all of a sudden, here's someone who's like the person you don't want to ever meet normally because she talks to everyone everywhere. Of course, who's the almost the second person she meets is this person. Myra, what you doing here? Well, she said, telling people about the Lord Jesus, how they can know how to get to heaven, and gave her a track. And she said, boy, everything within me wanted to run and flee, and, but I just wanted to do that for the Lord. And I asked her, and I said, oh, I said, was that hard? She said, and it, in her words, it was great. She said, well, sure, they didn't die for me, did they? And I thought, man, that's good. They didn't die for you. In other words, Christ died for me. He asked me to do Can I do that? I mean, come on. It's crazy. We wouldn't think to, to do that. So I would say here, the moment he was physically healed, we also see he's spiritually healed because he goes right into the temple. That's where he wants to be. Um, and he went in there to worship. You know, it also shows that worship is directly related to witnessing, isn't it? We can't help but thank him for what he has done, which leads to what he is doing, right? We start thinking about what he's doing in our own lives and what he's going to do in the future. It often happens. Now, I've got here, have you ever wondered why God asks us to come together to remember him? Do this in remembrance of me. Why does he say that? Um, he tells us, don't forsake the assembling of yourself as the manner of some is in Hebrews 10.25. You know? Why do we sing songs of praise? Why do we pray? Why do we do the things we do when we gather together? Well, Mike reminded us this morning, if you weren't here, he says, well, we're pretty forgetful, aren't we? We need to focus on him. And it was interesting, as I heard this morning's message, I was thinking, wow, that kind of dovetails a bit with what I'm talking about here. You know, we often have celebrations. We already thought about the Super Bowl or special days. They're an important part of our lives, aren't they? We celebrate birthdays. We were singing here. You know, anniversaries, other important days. What do we do? We throw parties. We take pictures. You know, we give flowers and gifts. We eat special cake. I particularly like that. You know, um, you know we go to special restaurants. It's all in, in thinking of these special times because it reminds us of the past, if it's a birthday or an anniversary, and it bonds us together for the future. Now, we also celebrate holidays. Like, I guess today is, or this is President's Day. You know, we don't have a holiday. We've got to stick one in there somehow, right? We don't have a president, so I guess we don't get that one, you know? But um, we have all these things, Fourth of July, Labor Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. All these celebration days, you know, we, we love them usually because, well, I don't have to work, you know. I get a day of relaxation or I, I get uh, time to spend with my family or friends or do what I want to do. You know, we have picnics, barbecue, and all that stuff. Um, you know, basically those days, it lifts us out of the basic routines of our lives. Now, have you ever thought of this concept of celebration or uh, special days that we should be reminded, the Christian anyway, should be reminded that every Sunday should be a celebration for a believer. Every Sunday, right? And I'm not talking about the Lord's Supper per se, but that's a particular meeting 
where it's a great time to just think on him, nothing else but him, right? So that's why it's good. Now, what happens when we come together? Well, it reminds us of the past. In particular, not what God has done for everybody, but what he's done for me. It's really selfish, isn't it? Self-centered, but it's in a good way. God did that for me? He bled on the cross for me? He died for me? Can you get any greater than that? You know, it tells us there's no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life for his friend. But it tells us that while we hated God, he died for us. Didn't want anything to do with him. I'll die for you. (laughs) Wow. And of course, once we start thinking of that, we start thinking about the present. You know, he's here with us. I'm having a trial. He's with me in the trial. He, you know, I can talk to him. He's just right there. And it also, as we were reminded this morning, it reminds us of a future hope that we have. One day I'm going to see him face to face. The God who created all things. He's going to be there. I'm going to see his nail-pierced hands. I, I'm going to hold him. <laughs> I guess you will too. But you know, Me in particular, this is great stuff for me. Just turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. I was just thinking of this, and um, you know, you see this exhortation in, in, in 1 John. You know, um, talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and so on. And it's almost at um, verse 25 of chapter 2. This is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. And as John kind of goes through this, Verse 28, it says, And now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. And then it's almost to me like he just stops for a minute. You know, he's an old man. And I think he just stops and maybe he just starts crying. (laughs) And he starts thinking, Behold, what manner of love what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us <laughs> that we should be called the sons of God. I mean, I, I look at, I just can't believe it. I mean, if you knew my past, you'd say, well, I can't believe it either about you, right? But he does that. He takes a filthy, vile, wicked sinner. That doesn't only clean him up, but he makes him perfect in the eyes of God. And here... He says, beloved, now are we the sons of God? And he goes on to say, it does not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Of course, he goes on, he says, and every man that has this hope, man, if you've got this hope like I've got, he says he purifies himself even as he is pure. Boy, it's good. Going back to our little account here. You know, um, when we're... When we gather together, it helps us to realize, like the lame man, our desperate condition before God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.1 that we're dead in sins, right? We're dead. 
when we realize our previous state, we're, we were slaves to sin. We were under a place of judgment and condemnation, despair, hopelessness, and death. And then after that, we're destined for eternity in hell. And thinking of all that, he saved us. Oh, doesn't this cause you to want to worship him? You know, just to say thanks? Well, maybe if you're saying, well, I'm not sure. Well, I would say to you, what you need to do is you need to look at the Bible. You need to examine yourself. 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells us, right? You need to examine yourself to whether you're in the faith. You know, maybe you need to look in. Maybe I just never got saved. This doesn't mean that much to me. If I, I don't understand what I've been saved from, maybe you haven't been saved. And you need to commit it to him. In Colossians 1.13, he reminds us what he did. Like I said, it's a done deal. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You know, we're so blessed to be here, to be part of God's family. And here in this place is a loving church. Um, he gives us the spirit of God to, to dwell within us. We have his word to help guide us people you know his people all around us no matter what happens in our life we're blessed it tells us we're blessed with all spiritual blessings we already looked at that romans 8 28 tells us that yeah we'll go through trials but he's with us in the trials all things work together for good not some not even most to those who love god and are called according to his purpose now just go down to verse uh verses 10 to 12 we see the result of the miracle here. It was used by God to prepare the people to listen to the message of Peter, much the same as on the day of Pentecost. Okay? You probably looked through Peter's preaching there in chapter 2. It says, When Peter saw, saw it, he answered unto the people. And he says, You men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man walk? And so what does he do here? Well, he addresses the nation of Israel. He explains the message in these verses. And what's he do? He, he says, look, I want, it's got nothing to do with me. I just happen to be the messenger. It's all about him. He does it all. You know, I remember somebody saying, you know, uh, Tim, I just want to thank you. You know, I go, oh, that's good. What do you want to thank me? Oh, for saving me. I said, look, if I saved you, buddy, you're in big trouble. I thought, you know, you were counting on the Lord. Let's go back to the book here. Let's, you know, whoa, 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 you got this all wrong. I can't do anything for you. And they, they just were saying the wrong words. But, you know, Peter deflects everything to the Lord. You know, sometimes we talk about these different Men of God. If they're really a man of God, everything gets directed back to the Lord, doesn't it? That's what we see. Peter doesn't want any praise. I mean, he, he, like he just basically tells him, like, what, what are you guys even thinking? That there's somehow I could have done any of this? No, 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 no. This, this is not it. And then note the names that Peter uses in, in the message. Verse 13. Um, he talks about um, his son, Jesus. Now, Peter identifies the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, right? Uh, with the one that the nation of Israel denied and delivered to Pilate for crucifixion. Now, you remember in John chapter 5, 
the Lord Jesus. Remember, they were going to crucify him because why? He said God was his father. And they said, well, he's making himself equal with God. And so here Peter, though, identifies him as just that. And then he goes on, he calls him what? The Holy One. Now, this is a title familiar to all Jews for God the Father. Here Peter identifies Jesus with God the Father. And then we see the just. We heard this again this morning. And it's a title referring to the absolute righteousness and holiness of Christ. And then we see he's the Prince of Life. You know, of course, we're told in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it tells us in Colossians 1.16 that He created all things, right? And here, of course, He's identified as the Prince of Life. So he, Peter identifies Him with the Creator of Life and declares that the nation killed the very author of life. And then you note, listen to the statements about Christ. He says in the beginning of that, um, that God has glorified Him in verse 13. But then He says, You delivered Him. You delivered Him up. But God has glorified him. You denied him in the presence of Pilate. You desired a murderer to be granted unto you. You killed the prince of life. Verse 15. But God has raised him from the dead. Right? Then he reminds them in verse uh, 16 that it's... Um, he reminds them that the lame man had been healed in the name and through the faith in that name. Not a... not. Peter, not something that he was doing, just an instrument, but it was Christ. It was the Lord Jesus. And then Peter points out to them, we don't have time for this, I think we're already at the end of our time here, but um, Peter points out in uh, verse 17 uh, that it's through their ignorance that Israel had crucified the Messiah. And it, it kind of reminds me, we think often, we see um, the just the aspect that God is just and he must punish sinner and he's, he's against the wicked and so on. But we also don't want to forget the idea that the Lord Jesus said what? Even when he's on the cross, he's being killed by them. Father, what? Forgive them for they know not what they do. And it's almost like another plea that for Israel to get right with God if they would just turn, repent and turn. And he, he would of course say that to us today as well. So um, in verse 18, it says, this opened the door to give Israel one more opportunity. Right? One more opportunity to receive the Messiah. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should fulfill, he has so fulfilled. He has done it. So he talks about the fulfillment of the, of his prof, of, uh, the prophecy of his suffering. And then here's the exhortation to them. Okay, what they need to do and what you need to do. Um, perhaps if you're here and you're not saved, you need to get right with God. There's only one way, it's through Christ. If you're here and you are a believer, um, perhaps you need to examine your own life. Say, am I really living for God? I, I know this speaks to my heart too because often there's things in my life that push the Lord out. And we need to look at it. So he calls them, verse 19, he calls on them to repent and be converted. Repent. And I would just say here simply, now it's speaking to the nation Israel, but take it collectively. And the idea is turn from sin, turn to God. Turn from things that you care about, turn back to God, the things that he cares about. Love him with all your heart, 
All your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all the time. At least try to surrender your will to his will. Now, we don't have much... Um, he goes on, of course, uh, talks about the promise of the kingdom. Is shown as a result, if, if there was a national repentance, that this would happen. The time of refreshings here and the time of rest, uh, restitutions that are given in, the, in these verses, verse 21, um, are in reference, I believe, to the millennial kingdom. But if they would repent, change their mind about the Messiah, God would send Jesus back to establish the kingdom. Sad thing is, of course, they haven't, have they? Peter goes on to explain that because they're children of the prophets, down in verse 25, and of the covenant, God was giving them another opportunity to receive the Messiah of whom the prophets had prophesied. Here was an opportunity given to the nation of Israel. And I, I would just say that we too have this opportunity, don't we? To get things right with God today. I mean... Um, Many of us here who have been saved for a while, we know Romans 12.1. But we actually live Romans 12 run, you know. He, he says, I beg you, brothers and brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice. I guess that's the problem is it's living and we come down off the altar. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable. In other words, he says, well, it's only natural. I mean, if someone died for you, you'd at least be willing to do what they want you to do, wouldn't you? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we do um, just want to thank you for this man's testimony, the fact that um, he was really turned from darkness to light, that um, when you healed him, it wasn't just a physical healing, but it was a spiritual healing too, that he went in and he brought glory to you. So he glorified God, leaping and praising. Think of uh, this in our own lives, Lord, how often we, we're not, even in heart. Our hearts are, my heart is far from you. I think of the wise men when they, when they saw where the star was going to be. It says they had exceeding great joy. They were overwhelmed at this thought. I'm sure they were leaping and jumping and praising God all the way. Help us to, in, in our own hearts, to do this, we pray in Jesus' name.